Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. August 9th edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. We'll take your phone calls today, 1030 and 1115, 602, 260, 1060. We'll also make room for Josh Kendall of The Athletic around 1015 to chat all things Atlanta Falcons with us. Uh, The reins have been turned over to Desmond Ritter, so we'll see how the quarterback position is shaping up. And, of course, the incredible running back talent of B. John Robinson, a rookie. We'll dive into all of that and the moves that they made in the offseason on the defensive side of the ball as well. Josh Kendall, 1015. 15 uh, about the Atlanta Falcons from the athletic. But as we typically do, let's set the scene with today's poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS 1060.com poll question, which uh, had uh, George Wallace of WTOP joining Bob in the nine o'clock hour. And if you missed that conversation, you can always podcast over at KDOS 1060.com. Here's the question. 2023 Washington commanders over seven and a half wins or under seven and a half wins and under leading the way here at 58% of the vote over trailing at 42%. Yeah, they won eight games last year. They actually tied one. So they were eight, eight and one. Uh, so needless to say, uh, as George mentioned to us, a uh, whole lot different atmosphere in every way. They're uh, rid of Daniel Schneider and all the stuff that you know, involved him. And you know, in addition to all that stuff that involved him, they were not very successful in his many years and done through many coaches and many you know, executives, etc. So he's gone. Uh, so they have some interesting players, however, as we also went through with George. I don't know if they have an offensive line. That's probably going to determine how many games they actually win. Uh, I like Sam Howe as their quarterback, but uh, lots going on there. Needless to say, yesterday with the Ron Rivera comments about Eric Bieniemy and the aggressive uh, nature of Eric Bieniemy, and apparently some players don't really appreciate that. That was about big headlines yesterday, whether you're watching SportsCenter or whether you're watching uh, the NFL uh, Network, etc. So that's an interesting, you know, you know, just good, I don't know if that's good timing for us, but that all went down, at least nationally. I didn't know anything about this until yesterday afternoon, and then I got kind of besieged by these uh, this story and uh, like uh, you know, yesterday afternoon and into the evening, quite frankly. So we'll see if that plays any role, but uh, that's kind of where we stand with uh, Washington at this point. We'll get into a little bit more about the commanders later on in the show. Also, we'll answer the poll question around 1130 today. Flipping this on over to Twitter, at KDOS AM 1060, the 2023 Atlanta Falcons over seven and a half wins or under seven and a half wins. And it's currently in a 50-50 split. So maybe Josh Kendall of The Athletic can help uh, voters get out of that 50-50 split. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I can buy that. They won seven games last year. Uh, they've now had five consecutive losing seasons. 
Uh, they've actually had three consecutive double-digit losing seasons. Uh, Desmond Ritter, we'll see how this goes. If he can be okay, I mean, they certainly do not lack for skilled position players. Uh, plenty of guys to throw the ball to that seemingly have a high talent level. Uh, so, we'll see, they spent a lot of money in their defense, uh, including a former Cardinal uh, pass rusher, or, you know, Cardinal for Cardinal and now kind of a inside pass rusher at this point of his career, Calais Campbell, who was drafted in 2008. Uh, so it's been a long time. Uh, used to, Calais used to be on this show on a weekly basis at one time in his early career with the Cardinals, so always appreciated him. Uh, good dude, and uh, hopefully uh, he's still got some gas left in the tank, and he, he made some plays last year in his last year in Baltimore. We'll answer that question as well around 11.30. Let's get into the Arizona Diamondbacks from last night. It was a 5-4 to four loss to the Dodgers. The D-backs now are at 500. They've lost seven in a row, and since the All-Star break are 5-18. and 18. As it was on the mound, Brandon Fott got the start 5-2, and two thirds, six, hit, six hits, four runs, two walks, five strikeouts, and Julio Urias, six innings, four hits, no runs, one walk, five strikeouts on 95 pitches for the Dodgers. Uh, take this a step further. They've lost 23 of their last 30. That is baseball's worst record over that stretch. Uh, they were one time 16 games above 500, uh, and that was early July. Now they're 57 and 57. On the other side of this, the Dodgers have won 7 out of 8, and they're a season-high 20 games above 500. That's 66 and uh, 46. Uh, Urias was really good last night. He's been bad on the road. This Actually, he's been really good at home this season in Dodger Stadium. Really bad on the road, but last night the Diamondbacks did nothing against him. Uh, you know, they, he gave, they only got four hits, and they walked once and scored not, they didn't score a run in the six innings that he pitched last night. He struck out five, and he completely really dominated the game. Uh, you know, I've been pretty adamant here that we knew that the pitching was it had shortcomings, whether it be in the starting rotation, whether it be in the bullpen, and that even though there was a hot start, I was like, hey, let's be cautious. Let's be uh, cautiously optimistic about where this team can go. I didn't want to get too, too excited, too high about everything, just because it seemed like lots of things had to go right, and certainly the Diamondbacks were a team that were taking advantage of the newer rules, uh, some of their really good base running and stealing and putting pressure on opposing teams defenses here but I was trying to stay neutral in all of that have is it safe for me to say that I'm kind of entering now a disappointing zone here when you think about it seven losses in a row only five wins since July 14th yes the pitch, pitching issues are still there but this team is better than just five wins since July 14th and kind of some of the silly mistakes that are happening I'll go with you on the silly mistakes, but I don't know if they're that much better. They, they, I think they just had a lot of things go their way. Also, I think they had a lot of uh, the element of surprise early in the season uh, with the way that they were that aggressive. Uh, I think that uh, you know, Baltimore and, uh, and the Diamondbacks were in the Reds are three teams that have really taken advantage of the new rules early in the year. But you can't be aggressive if you don't get guys on base. And uh, you know their offensive numbers are atrocious since July the first, and, and actually you know, because of that, there's like no margin for error. 
uh, in the pitching staff. Anything that goes wrong there, are you going to score enough runs to win games? That certainly has not been the case, really. And I know a lot of people want to you know go to the All Star break and so forth. But you know their their offensive woes started weeks ago. You know really you know, like I said around July first, and you know they they've been terrible since then. Uh, Sixteen games under five hundred since then, and that that is really bad. And, uh, and I don't really know if there's much of a solution here, quite frankly. Um, yeah, Tommy Pham hasn't been good. Corbin Carroll has really struggled for several weeks now. Maybe it's the shoulder thing. Yeah, I think a lot of teams maybe figured out a better way to, you know, to get him out and pitch him. Uh, that was an unfortunate end of, the, end of the game last night, obviously, when he didn't run out the ground ball. And I don't think that was a lack of hustle. I just think that he thought it was a foul ball. And uh, But it looked it was a really bad look. I mean, you got a chance to actually you – know, they had no chance to win that game basically last night until they scored a couple of runs in the eighth inning and a couple more in the ninth inning. And you had you know winning runners on base and Corbin Carroll's up and he hits a little dribbler to first base, which he thought was foul. And the game ended on a double play with him, you know, starting slowly and then just kind of uh, – you know, starting getting a late start and nowhere near first based on what would not have been a double play, I don't think, had he run out of the box hard. Uh, the NL West, the Dodgers leading things at 66 and 46, the Giants 62 and 52, now five games back, the Diamondbacks 57 and 57, as we mentioned, 500 now, 10 games back, and the Padres at 59, 55 and 59, 12 games back. Though the dis- frustrations are there for the Diamondbacks, they remain in the NL wildcard race because you have the Braves leading everything at 71 and 40, the Dodgers at 66 and 46, and then the Brewers at 61 and 54. In the NL wildcard positions, you have the Phillies at 62 and 52, the Giants at 62 and 52, and the Cubs at 59 and 55. And then on the outside looking in, uh, the Reds at 60 and 56, the Marlins a half game back, and the Diamondbacks sitting at just two games back. Yeah, just two games back? Okay, that almost seems like an insurmountable you know, deficit at this point. Uh, they've won, obviously, they've only won uh, two of their last 10 games. If you want to go a little further back, uh, I just think they're, as I mentioned uh, last week, I think they're a sinking ship. And I don't think the sinking ship can be, you know, I don't think there's anybody in the minor leagues that's going to come through. The trade deadline's passed. They just, uh, their offense is, you know, gone south. And I uh, would be really surprised at this point if they mounted a charge at some point of the season. They've still got plenty of games left. Well, they played 114 so far, so you can all do the math. There's a 162-game season. I'm sure they'll have a a couple of winning streaks at some point, but I would be, at this point, surprised between their anemic offense. uh, Their defense has still been pretty good, even though not as good as it was before. Uh, Their base running, when they actually have guys gotten on base, hasn't been nearly as good as it was before. They've had some bonehead decisions, pretty much everybody in their lineup. Uh, has delivered at least one bonehead base running decision uh, since the All-Star break. Uh, I, I think that they're in significant trouble here. Uh, the Diamondbacks continue to host the Dodgers tonight. It's going to be Bobby Miller, 6-2, 4.26 ERA, 62 strikeouts. Merrill Kelly, 9-5, 3.21 ERA, 118 strikeouts. See what's up with Miller. Um, uh, yeah, they really like him. He's their top pitching prospect, and yeah, he's had some very good moments and uh, some moments that are expected out of a rookie pitcher. 
Uh, you know, once again, a guy that's pitched better at home than he has on the road. And when you're pitching in Dodger Stadium, even though it's more of a hitter's ballpark since they changed the ballpark configuration, especially in center field, uh, it's become more of a hitter's park than it used to be. But uh, yeah, it's not surprising that a a rookie pitcher would be better at home, more comfortable, etc. Anyway, uh, and the fact that he's usually uh, you know most times he's if he's pitching in Dodger Stadium, that's going to be a better pitcher's park still than wherever he's facing anybody on the road. We'll get into some American League topics a little bit later on in the program here and the AL wildcard situation, those on the outside looking in as well. But we have to step aside, make room for uh, we have to make room for Josh Kendall of The Athletic to talk all things Atlanta Falcons with us. He's coming to us from The Athletic. So we'll do that. We'll step aside, regroup and have a Falcons conversation over under seven and a half wins for Atlanta in this uh, NFC South division. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS 1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Wednesday. It is August 9th and we pop on out to the KDOS hotline as we're joined by Josh Kendall with The Athletic for an Atlanta Falcons conversation. Josh, it's Bob and Kayla today. How are you? Good. How are y'all? Doing fantastic. Looking forward to the conversation here. And I I think we have to start with the quarterback position. Last year, it was Marcus Mariota. Then a switch was made to Desmond Ritter. So what has been the biggest difference that you've seen from Desmond Ritter at the end of last season to camp so far? And to that point, where does he need to continue to make strides? Well, it's tough to say how how he's been different just because you're as, as much as they try to simulate game situations, you're not getting that. I can tell you that they've been happy with what they've asked him to do in terms of getting them into and out of um, all the various formations that they run, which is more than most teams in the NFL. He's handling the pre-step snap stuff really well. So they're pleased with that. I think the next step you need to see him make is his accuracy. He was second in the league in off-target percentage throws last year in those four starts. Accuracy was a concern of some of the scouting community when he was coming out of Cincinnati. So he's got to prove that that's cleaned up. And if it is, I think the Falcons will be very, you know, happy with what they get out of Desmond Ritter. If he's accurate, he's got dudes to throw it to. Uh, Drake London and hopefully a healthy Kyle Pitts. How's Pitts look so far? He's looked fine in the limited action that they've given him. He he did almost nothing in 11-on-11 work against the Dolphins the last two days. They're down here for joint practice. Um, and he probably won't play Friday when they have their preseason opener. But that that's part of the plan. They'll ramp him up slowly. Out. He'll play some in the second and third preseason game, and they expect him to be fully healthy by the time the season starts. How 
how impressive has Bijan Robinson been in person and how great of a fit will he be with this Falcons team, especially with Arthur Smith, who isn't afraid to run the ball? Yeah, he's been very impressive. And the, the moment's not too big for him being a top 10 pick and kind of being um, at the center of this how valuable is a running back debate is not too big for him. Um, he's handled that with, you know, with aplomb. I think it's um, – his talent speaks for itself, and, and this is the ideal situation. I think that for a couple of reasons, because he can play a lot of positions and the Falcons will put him in a lot of positions, and I think he's got a chance to be a real difference maker in this team's wide zone scheme. That's their base run. They run the ball a lot of ways, but their base run is the wide zone, the outside zone, whatever you want to call it. And Bijan's got the skill set that fits really perfectly in there and can take some of those wide zone runs that are blocked that might be blocked for 8 or 12 and take them 25 or 30. I'm curious. They also have Tyler Algier, who played at BYU and had a monster game back in the day against Arizona State. Uh, Algier rushed for more than 1,000 yards, uh, averaged nearly five yards a carry last season. Robinson has these pass-catching skills. So how's the distribution plan going to work between those guys? I still think you'll see Tyler. You might see Tyler out here lead this team in carries this year. Now that's different from touches because Bijan will get a lot of work in the passing game. I think that they will try to keep the wear and tear off of Bijan. Uh, you know, they they view him. You know, they're trying to think about year two, three, and four with him, and not just this first year. So I don't. They're not going to run Bijan into the ground. I still think you'll see Tyler get a lot of work. You'll see Tyler get a lot of work at the goal line, where he's just a load to bring down. Um, so I, I think that they're very complimentary. They're, they, you can see how those pieces fit well together. Sticking with the running backs here, is there still a role for Cordell or Patterson on this team? Well, they put out a depth chart yesterday, um, which means virtually nothing. And Cordell was the, was the starting running back on that depth chart. And I, I think that kind of speaks to his role. He's not the starting running back on this team, but they want him to sort of carry himself in that role, lead that room, you know, take some of the pressure off Bijan and Tyler, who's still a young player. And Cordero, let's remember, was drafted as a wide receiver, played almost has played almost all of his career at wide receiver. This is not a super deep wide receiver running or wide receiver room in Atlanta. There'll be some snaps outside for Cordero Patterson, but I think you're gonna see his touches, his overall touches go down from the first two years in Atlanta just because they don't have as much need to give him all those touches. Falcons have had five consecutive losing seasons, haven't made the playoffs since 2017. They've had double-digit losing seasons the last three years, but they spend money on uh, free agents in the offseason, including uh, former Cardinal Calais Campbell back in uh, 2008. He was a second-round pick in 2008. Which free agent do you think will have the biggest addition this season for Atlanta? Well, I think Calais could be on the list. I think you've got to look at the defensive line because they needed so much help there. The problem with picking out one guy is they added so many pieces. They added Calais, they added Bud Dupree, and they added David Onyemata. So I think that those three guys, as a, if you look at them as a unit, that's the biggest difference in terms of if the personnel this team is at. Josh Kendall with The Athletic talking all things Atlanta Falcons right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. Also defensively here, what's the latest on Jeff Akuda? He was brought in in the offseason to help at that corner position, suffered an ankle injury in practice. So what's the latest on him, the injury, and when he could be making his return and, and how big of a loss that could be? 
There's a possibility. They got good news on Jeff. There's a possibility he could be back week one. Um, somewhere in the week one to three range is when they expect him back. So they're just trying to keep him mentally engaged and make sure he's ready. Um, it's at this point, it's hard to say which one of you know where he'll land in that in that range. They added Jeremy Bates from the Bengals. How's he fit in? He's obviously considered to be one of the best safeties in the NFL. You know, I think they want him to tie that group together back there. They've got some young players that they like, but they've added, you know, they added Jeff Kuda, they added Mike Hughes. That secondary group is, 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 is a new unit, and I think they view Jesse Bates as a guy who can unify that group in the meeting room and who can also tie it all together on the field because he's so versatile. He can play in a lot of different roles, and they're going to ask this. They're going to throw a lot of different coverage to people and do a lot of different things. So I think they think Jesse is the guy who can kind of run that back there. Overall, defensively here, there's a new defensive coordinator in town, Ryan Nielsen. So what is his philosophy? Is it drastically different? Is there an overhaul, or is he kind of just a fresh voice, uh, some, some new blood here to continue forward with what has already been established in Atlanta defensively? He's a pretty new voice. Um, and, you know, It'll be different. It'll look a lot more aggressive for a couple of reasons. Number one, because he, he's a lot more aggressive, especially on the defensive front in terms of how he's going to ask those guys to play than the way they were playing under Dean Pease. Number two, he's, number two, he's just got the personnel to do it. That's going to be the biggest difference. So, you know, Dean Pease was handicapped in a lot of ways by the personnel he had the last two years. This is a team that's going to be able to get after the quarterback and is going to get after the quarterback a lot more than Atlanta did in the last two years. You mentioned they're having joint practices this week with the Dolphins. What's uh, the Falcons coaching staff hoping to learn from that? And uh, has anybody stood out to you so far, either this week or the first couple weeks of camp? I think John looked good today. Um, you know, you can see you can see why they like him. You can see how he fits into this offense. They wanted to come down here and get a look at a different team. You know, at this point in camp, everybody just wants to see somebody different. I think they like the fact that. They're going up against the Vic Fangio defense down here because Fangio's had such an impact on the league that you see so many elements of a Fangio defense throughout the season that coming down here and spending two days going against one is really valuable. Josh Kendall with The Athletic right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra points. Uh, so we've been talking a lot about Bijan Robinson, obviously, as being the stud of the rookie class. But the rest of the Falcons rookie class, you have Matthew Bergeron, Zach Harrison, Clark Phillips. What sort of roles are expected out of those rookies? Well, Matthew Bergeron right now is working with the first team because Matt Hennessy is out with an injury. And probably Matt, Matt, Matt Bergeron Matt Bergeron will have every opportunity to hold on to that job going into the season. Zach Harrison's not a guy who's going to play a ton because of those free agency additions on the defensive line that we talked about. He's made a big impact in the last two practices down here. He showed what they thought he was going to be, which is a big physical disruptive guy. So I think that they're really happy with what they see from Zach Harrison with the plan that it's going to come to fruition on the field a year or so from now. Okay, I want to go back to the wide receivers here. You know, Drake London, who you know we saw at USC back in the day, and also the help, hopefully healthy Kyle Pitts. Do you think Ritter is accurate enough to get the full you know amount of you know skill level out of those two wide receivers? You know, I, I, that's an open question, honestly. The Falcons think yes, the Falcons say yes, but until you see it happen on a, on the field uh, in the regular season, I don't know that we can say that. Um, that's something he's still got to prove. A box has still got to check. 
Uh, speaking of Kyle Pitts here, he's an incredible talent. Uh, he did have injury last season here. But in general, how can he be more involved to showcase his skill set? In addition, tight end room-wise, they bring back Jonu Smith, who has ties with Arthur Smith uh, from his Tennessee days. Will that kind of resurrect Smith? How's that tight end room and that offensive uh, production from that room kind of shaping up? Well, I think where they've got to get more out of Kyle Pitts is, is in the red zone. This is a guy who's had three career touchdowns. That's not what you envision when you take him number four overall. Some of that's injury-related. Some of that's quarterback accuracy-related. But it's the facts are the facts. He scored three NFL touchdowns. They've got to get more out of him in the red zone. And John M. Smith, I think, gives Arthur Smith a real comfort factor because they really got close when Arthur was coaching in Tennessee as tight ends coach. He's a very versatile guy. He can play anywhere from fullback to split wide. We've got another uh, veteran in Michael Pruitt, who's sort of a mini John New Smith. He's the guy that um, he's the guy that filled the role last year before John New Smith came in. Arthur's got a real comfort level with him, so I think you'll see Kyle Pitts be featured. And then behind that, you'll just see some of these guys who can wear a lot of hats in John New and Michael Pruitt. All right, last one for me. Uh, the Falcons' consensus win total for the 2023 season, seven and a half wins, so over or under seven and a half? I think over. Um, this is a team that spent big. They're in year three. Their offensive system is sort of fully in place, and they play in the NFC South, which should not be a murderer's row. Um, this is this is the time for this regime, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot, to win. This is what they've been building toward. You know, in, in the NFL, three years is, is a long time to, to build a program, so to speak. So this is the year it needs to pay off for Atlanta. If they're not north of seven and a half wins, there will be a lot of question marks about whether or not these guys are going to be around into the, the distant future. That leads into my last question here. Arthur Smith has been the head coach since 2021. What have you seen in terms of growth from him as a head coach, and is he uh, still in a rather solid position, or is the seat getting warm? No, seat's fine. Now, Arthur Blank's team owner still very much supports him, very much believes in him. But like if, if it's another 7-10 and 10 season, then you're going to start to see some doubt waiver. He'll be around for year four almost certainly, unless something just crazy happens. But if they don't top seven and a half wins, he'll go into year four firmly firmly in the hot seat. Josh, this has been great. Thank you so very much for the time, and we'll catch up with you down the road. Thanks for having me. Once again, he is Josh Kendall there with The Athletic talking all things Atlanta Falcons. Uh, we'll get into their win totals, schedules a little bit on the other side of the break here. We'll also take your phone calls, 602-260-1060, 602-260-1060. Also, I had uh, uh, said we would dive back into the American League, so we'll do that as well on the other side of the break. Uh, plenty of topics for you to discuss, though, uh, whether it be the Atlanta Falcons, the Washington commanders nfl discussion hard knocks major league baseball the arizona diamondbacks conference realignment 602-260-1060 is the number we'll take your calls now and talk to you on the other side of the break it is the extra point right here on kdos am 1060 online at kdos 1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app powered by superbook sports HD Radio is here for KDUS AM 1060. Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2.
738 right here on KDOS AM 1060 on this Wednesday, August 9th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Thanks to Josh Kendall from The Athletic taking time, talking all things Atlanta Falcons with us. If you missed the interview podcast over at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS1060 app. Taking a deeper look, though, into this Falcons schedule here. So week one, they do start with an NFC South opponent home hosting the Carolina Panthers. Then they are hosting the Packers week three at the Lions, week four at the Jaguars. So it could be a bit of an interesting first four games uh, for the Falcons here. One question marks up in the air with the quarterbacks, Bryce Young and Desmond Ritter and how they'll fare in all of that. And then the expectations placed on the Lions and the Jaguars in week three and week four. I think that you know, they might have the softest first eight games of the season in the NFL. You know, they get Carolina. That's going to be Young's first game. You mentioned the Ritter factor there too. But you know, the second game is against you know Jordan Love in his what second or third game, depending on how we look at the Love career before this year. Then they play Houston, Washington, at Tampa Bay, at Tennessee. Those are all games amongst their first eight of the season. Uh, they do have, you know, once again, there seems like there's a whole lot of teams we've talked about the last couple of weeks that have some backloaded road schedules, which is, I don't think, ever a good thing uh, when you have these in uh, December especially. And they play, uh, you know, their last four, they play three of their last four games of the season on the road. So if they're in a playoff race, so to speak, or it might be a crawl because we're talking about the NFC South here, but uh, three of their last four games are on the road against Carolina, and in, uh, home against Indianapolis, then at Chicago. That's going to be a cold-weather game, you would think, in December. You had a dome team going to a cold-weather team in December. Probably not a good match there, a match there, excuse me. Then they play actually New, or- New Orleans in the final game of the season, and now, the good thing about the Saints is I think there's a good chance they'll have clinched a division championship by that time in the last week of the season. But the Saints might be actually playing for playoff seeding in the NFC. NFC South numbers here, the Saints plus 130, the Falcons at plus 210, the Panthers at plus 360, and the Buccaneers at plus 750. I'm just kind of curious to see here, you know, if the the running game can be a young quarterback's best friend, and so just how all of that is going to be pieced together, and obviously Arthur Smith not afraid at all to run the football and devises some really good game plans for running the ball. It also helps that when he was offensive coordinator in Tennessee, he had Derrick Henry running the football. Uh, But then also kind of the other factor for a young quarterback is a defense can be a young quarterback's best friend. So just how that defense will improve uh, if it it can improve. Yeah, I got some questions about the defense. And one thing we haven't talked about them uh, with the Falcons, they have a really good offensive line. They've got some guys, you know, one of the reasons that they were so good running the ball is they've got two or three guys that are elite run blockers. Uh, So... I think that's going to change from year to year. A lot of things in the NFL do change, unfortunately, from year to year. But I don't think that would be one of them. So I think that uh, as long as they're not playing catch-up, because I got real questions about Ritter. I questioned him when he was drafted. I mean, he was great at Cincinnati, but he was great at Cincinnati. And when they faced some of the top echelon opponents when he was at UC in college, 
uh, he was completely overmatched uh, and uh, very inaccurate. And I don't, th- I didn't see anything last year that changed my opinion of the inaccuracy thing. And there's not many quarterbacks. We've been through this a few times, I know, with Josh Allen, but I think Josh Allen's just kind of the exception to this. If you're inaccurate when you come into the NFL, it's not often you become an accurate quarterback once you enter the NFL. We'll save some of the uh, player props for when we answer the over-under win total in the 11.30 hour. Let's uh, revert back to our Major League Baseball conversation here and uh, get into the American League and yesterday's contest with the Astros topping the Orioles 7-6 to on a Kyle Tucker ninth inning grand slam off Felix Bautista. Uh, you did have Framber Valdez here. Uh, not a good start for him. Seven innings pitch, seven hits, six runs, two walks, three strikeouts, and two home runs. But the Astros uh, coming up big there with Kyle Tucker in the ninth. Tremendous at bat. I mean, you know, there are plenty of people that are making a case for Batista to be the uh, American League Cy Young Award winner, in part because other than Garrett Cole, and people don't want to give Garrett Cole any credit for anything that he does, because uh, I think partly because the media and Garrett Cole have not had the greatest relationship in the world. So that, that that's not right, but that's just the way that it is. And the media seems to be uh, very hesitant to do anything, say anything good about him ever. Uh, so they're looking for somebody else. And Batista is the candidate. Uh, but that was a tremendous at bat last night, the grand slam by Tucker. He actually fell down 0-2 in the count, uh, fouled up uh, four pitches, uh, and then you know, ended up hitting the grand slam that won the game for them eventually because they had to get the you know, Presley got the save in the bottom of the ninth inning, but that gave them the lead. And you know, Valdez was not good to start the game. Um, he gave up the home runs in the first couple innings to Mountcastle, and I think it was Adley Rushman. Yeah, it was Adley Rushman uh, hit one against him in the second inning. Those were the first two innings. But uh, you know, while you, you know, they're down five nothing. Uh, the Astros, their bullpen was you know, completely wiped out last week when they had to throw guys a whole lot of innings, except for Valdez's no-hitter last week when that was his last start. Uh, but you know, Valdez made it through like six innings after he had that horrible start, and I think that that uh, is something that really deserves a whole lot of uh, attention for them to win this game. I know that you know, Tucker, because it was you know that was one of the greatest at bats I've seen this year, best at bats I've seen this year in Major League Baseball, uh, in that ninth inning. But everybody seems to you know I understand, but you know the fact that Valdez was able to get through as many innings as he did after such a terrible start that put them in position to actually rally to win the game. Uh, today for the Astros, it's going to be Christian Javier, 7-2, 4.39 ERA, 107 strikeouts. Jack Flaherty for the Orioles, 8-6, 4.28 ERA, 114 strikeouts. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. Flaherty's first start, obviously, with uh, after the trade last week to Baltimore uh, was tremendous as he shut down the overrated Toronto offense. Uh, but he did a very good job in that game. Now he gets Houston and uh, his first uh, game in the new ballpark. And I think this new ballpark, it's not like, it's not hard to, I should rephrase that. I mean, it, you know, pitchers, it, I think St. Louis is still a pitcher's ballpark, but Baltimore, especially against right-handed hitters for starting pitchers, is a tremendous hit, uh, pitcher's ballpark. 
So we'll see how Flaherty fares there. Uh, in the American League, leading the way, the Orioles seventy and forty-three, the Rangers sixty-eight and forty-six, the Twins sixty and fifty-five. The wild card positions right now: the Rays sixty-nine and forty-six, the Astros sixty-five and forty-nine, and the Blue Jays at sixty-four and fifty-one. On the outside looking in. The Mariners have climbed their way up to 61-52. and 52. The Yankees, four and a half games back. The Red Sox, five games back. And just to put a smile on your face, I threw in there the Angels, seven games back. Yeah, they won a game last night. First time they've won since the trade deadline, and the, uh, the ignorance of uh, you know Anaheim continues. But they did win last night. And Otani's pitching today. We'll see how it goes. Uh, since he had the uh, you know, complete game one hit sh- uh, one hit shutout at Detroit, which is now two starts ago, he's had all kinds of problems health wise. He's he's left at least a half dozen games because of some kind of uh, you know cramping issue, and then the last time we saw him pitch, he had to leave because of a you know middle finger on his pitching hand cramped up, and he had to leave that start after like four innings. So we'll see what happens. One other thing about the American League. Yeah, Tampa Bay lost to, you know, not official yet, but it seems as if Shane, McClan- Shane McClanahan, uh, who, of course, is their ace, he's uh, likely done for the season. Kevin Cash even said yesterday he's not likely to pitch again this season. Uh, it appears he's already gotten one diagnosis that he needs Tommy John surgery and he's seeking a second opinion. And also Tyler Glass now who's kind of like the last guy standing in their rotation. This is the If McClanahan's out for the season, that is the fourth starting pitcher that is out for the season because of injury for Tampa. Uh, Glass now, like literally kind of the last guy standing here, he's now in – he might I, – I can't imagine he's not headed to the injured list. He got scratched from his last start because of a back problem, and then he was given an injection for his back problem yesterday. So good luck with Tampa. They were the, you know, they were never going to lose a game in uh, in April, and now you wonder if they're ever going to win a game. They they are seven and twenty one, in their last twenty eight games. Yeah, I mean it's such a bummer to to see what has happened to Tampa because they had some injuries before the start of the season even happened, and then uh, you know they still went on that absolute tear as you mentioned. Didn't seem like they were going to lose a game to start the year, and now I mean they're still sitting there, sixty nine and forty six on the season. But when you just keep dropping starting pitchers, uh, you have to wonder what could have been for this particular season for them. Yeah, in fact, I cannot imagine any you know first round playoff series that I think that they would win at this point. Uh, and because of the lack of starting pitching, their bullpen is now shot because they've had to throw these guys so many innings. Uh, as for the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, we already mentioned this, but they are hosting the Dodgers tonight. It is Bobby Miller going up against Merrill Kelly. That's a 640 start. As always, now go to dbacks.com slash watch to find uh, what channel uh, ser- services you to watch the game for tonight. On the other side of the break, we'll get into the PGA Tour. The FedEx Cup playoffs begin The top 70 are in Memphis this week, so we'll figure out what to do. It is a no-cut event, so that also kind of changes odds. That changes kind of being able to to go for top 30s and top 40s with some value because it is a no-cut event. So we'll try to figure out what to do. Uh, Some interesting little nuggets that I stumbled upon as well. It's all happening here in the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. 
need social information about KDUS AM 1060, try KDUS1060.com at KDUS AM 1060 on Twitter and Facebook.com slash KDUS AM 1060. of the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS 1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. So the PGA Tour has found its way into the playoffs. It's the FedEx Cup. Uh, the FedEx Cup has begun and it's the FedEx St. Jude Championship being held and contested in Memphis, Tennessee this week at TPC Southwind. 7,243 yards par 70 so the thing about this particular event when you're looking at course history and and what to factor in is that this used to just be a regular stop on the PGA Tour then it was elevated into the World Golf Championships they have since done away with the World Golf Championships and for the last two years it has this year last year and this year it has started kick-started the FedEx Cup playoffs so uh, when you're kind of factoring all of that in one course setup is a little bit harder for OWGC as well as these FedEx Cup playoffs. Also, strength of field and size is a little bit different as well. So, kind of trying to maybe factor in a little less of um, course history and a little bit more of shot making ability that you're going to need to get yourself around TPC Southwind. Uh, so, I'm looking here at strokes gained off of the tee, strokes gained approach, and you're looking in the buckets of 125 to 150 yards, 150 to 175 yards, and 175 to 200 yards. Uh, this isn't necessarily a putting contest type golf course because you have uh, Justin Thomas winning this event one year uh, where he lost a couple of strokes putting for the week and still won, but he was just phenomenal with his iron play. So it's kind of uh, really just focusing there on driving the golf ball and then who's going to putt uh, well for the week. Week. Scotty Scheffler, though, no surprise. He comes in as an odds-on favorite at plus 600. Rory McIlroy at plus 850. John Rahm at plus 850. Patrick Cantlay is 14 to 1. Xander Shoffley is 18 to 1. And Victor Hovland is 20 to 1. Once again, this is the start of the FedEx Cup playoffs. It's 70 golfers, no cut. Top 50 advance to the BMW Championship. And this is new for... This particular uh, um, event, if you will, and how things are going to be structured moving forward into the 2024 season of the top 50 to advance to the BMW championship, those top 50 players auto qualify for the signature events in 2024. So there are some players who are going to need to play well to get themselves into the top 50 or hang on to their spots. One being Cam Young. He's sitting at 48th. Lucas Glover is 49th. He's coming off the win last week, which just got him into this event in the first place. Taylor Montgomery, 53rd. We remember his name from the hot fall start that he had, and he's really cooled off since. And Hideki Matsuyama, he's the biggest name uh, in this 
position at 57th. Now, here's some other interesting factors about how to look at this golf tournament. Names like Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, uh, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, Victor Hovland, all of these players who uh, are at the top of the board, they haven't played since the Open Championship because most of the, the tournaments that were on the schedule for those trying to jockey their way into the top 70 of this FedEx Cup point system. So, some numbers here from Rick Run Good. Scotty Scheffler, when he takes two weeks off, he plays 4.039 strokes better than his baseline. So he's a particular player that weeks off do him well. Also, I've heard he's going to be trying a new putter this week, so we'll see how that goes for Scotty. Patrick Cantlay, on the other hand here, uh, minus 3.766 strokes worse than his baseline with two weeks off. Victor Hovland plays 0.843 strokes better than his baseline with two weeks off. Colin Morikawa plays minus 4.643 strokes worse than his baseline with two weeks off. Don't know if that's how you want to make your betting odds. Just thought it was an interesting little nugget about how players play with time off. We're going Victor Hovland at 20 to 1. We're also doing a head-to-head matchup with Tyrrell Hatton over Xander Shoffley. Thinking Hideki Matsuyama comes out, gets himself into the top 50 with a top 20 at plus 135. And then we're taking a long shot. He's coming off of an ankle injury, so you might have to be careful with this one, but Tom Kim at 40 to 1. That'll conclude our PGA Tour FedEx St. Jude Championship conversation from TPC Southwind. Hour number two is coming up next. We'll take your phone calls. We'll dive into the Arizona Cardinals. Aaron Decker's training camp report also, on the other side of the break, it is the extra point. 